about that was just great, man, the, the, the words that we were just singing. And I was, especially when I was thinking about the song that was uh, one that Matt Redmond saying, you know, Lord, forgive me for what, what, what I've made worship out to be. You know, forgive me for what I've made it out to be. And actually, we're going to be talking this morning, as you already know, it's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 that we're going to look at. And uh, uh, it's, it is an attitude in the spirit of worship. And uh, we're going to look, we're actually going to go to school this morning with the Apostle Paul. Uh, in fact, all of the verses that I refer to and that we reference, cross-reference this morning, all of them are going to be from the Apostle Paul and his other epistles, including Romans, except for one, which is from Jesus. But uh, we're going to be going to school with Paul because he's going, to be, he's going to be instructing us and showing us and describing to us and taking us a little deeper to understand what worship is. Because one of the things that we'll realize from the very outset is that worship is not just something that you do that you segment out. You know, sometimes we'll talk about saying, we'll go down to the worship center because what happens down at the worship center is where we all get together, we sing songs, uh, we'll, we'll uh, study the Bible, we... Uh, observe baptisms we'll have the lord's supper and all and that's down the worship center why because we'll go down there at the designated time and that's what we do down in that room or we talk about like well the uh the worship part of the worship service so we'll segment it out even more you know and when we say that the worship part of the worship service what are we talking about the music yeah we'll, we'll get the music part so the music part and we use all these different terms or i mean we we, we ha by using one term worship we mean different things and we talk about it and we segment it out well the passage we're going to look at this morning the apostle paul basically says worship is a lifestyle it includes and encompasses everything about your life everything you get up in the morning and uh, hopefully you take a bath and you brush your teeth. That can actually be an act of worship. Why? Because the mindset is, is, Lord, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And you can be worshiping the Lord with your whole attitude and how you're starting the day right there. When you're in the car driving down 45 or going down 290, that can be an act of worship right there. You know, while you're driving now, you know, and you're resisting doing what you feel in the flesh doing when the guy cuts you off when he pulls in your lane. And it can be an act of, Lord Jesus, I know that. You know, it's an attitude. It's a whole lifestyle. It encompasses everything that we do. That's what Paul is going to be talking about. So, uh, <clears throat> If you have time and if you've already opened up there, whether you got your phone or your tablet or whatever you have a copy of God's Word on, <clears throat> I want to direct your attention to uh, Romans chapter two, uh, 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so I'm just going to read the two verses, and then we'll peel it back like an onion in just a little bit. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you will discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul starts out by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and we've been taught it's been if we've been in church for any length of time we know that when you come across the word therefore in the bible you have to ask yourself the first question 
What's it there for? All right? Therefore is a transitional word. And the Apostle Paul is saying, therefore, I urge you, therefore. Well, what is it therefore? Because he is doing that in light of everything he has been describing earlier in in, in his letter to the Romans. So in other words, the first 11 chapters are primarily doctrinal. Now, there's some application in there, of course, as well. But it's primarily about doctrine, sound doctrine. All right, And talking about the mercies of God, talking about the things that God has done in this world and done through us and done in us, if the, those of us <clears throat> who know the Lord. All right, So the first 11 chapters of that, well, then we come to chapter 12, and Paul is saying, now, with everything that I've just described to you and everything I've talked about, therefore, this is where he says, I want you to give your bodies to the worship of the Lord. Your whole, everything about you, about the, uh, to the Lord. The late uh, scholar F.F. F. Bruce said this. He said, doctrine is never taught in the Bible simply that it may be known. It is taught that it may be translated into practice. So you see, what's important is it's not how much you know about the Bible. It's not how much you know about God. What's important is whether or not you are actively and consistently consistently appropriating what you know in how you live your life. And Paul starts out here by saying, listen, with everything I told you about God, worship in light of that. In John chapter 13, verse 17, Jesus said, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Uh, James kind of said the same thing. Faith without what? Works is dead. That's right. Faith without works is dead. So it's not just how much we know, but it's how we appropriate what we know, how we live our lives. And again, Going back, Paul has been describing all these things that God has done for us. And he said, listen, with knowing these things and being aware of these things and knowledgeable of these things, how can you help but worship the Lord? And when you worship with the right mind and the right heart, it is, as he said there in the first part, it is acceptable to God. It is your lifestyle of worship. But all these things that God has done for you. And sometimes, you know, we might ask, you know, what, what, well, what has God done for us? What has God done for me lately? You know, uh, now I'm really going to show my age here. And, uh, but maybe if some of you have remember the uh, shows from over from England, Monty Python. And they had Monty Python's Flying Circus. And they actually produced a movie called The Life of Brian. Now, I haven't watched the whole movie. I've just seen YouTube videos. But anyways, um, so I'm not, not endorsing Monty Python here. But in the life of Brian, there was this really funny scene where the guy, they're basically talking about they're, they're going to rise up against the Romans and they're, they want to gather all the folks and they got, you know, coming up with their reasons why and they're going to, uh, you know, uh, go up against the Romans and whatever. And he's sitting there saying, and he ends it, 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 it with, with this uh, one saying, he says, and besides, what have the Romans ever done for us? You remember that scene? Have you seen that? What have the Romans ever done for us? And all of a sudden, this little voice says, well, the aqueduct, sir, the aqueduct. He goes, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about the aqueduct. Well, besides the aqueduct, what have the Romans ever done for us? Education, sir. They brought education to us. 
Oh, yeah, okay, well, that's right. Well, besides the aqueduct and education, what have the Romans ever done for us? They gave us the roads, Lord. And one by one, they see going through there. And whenever he's through, the final thing that he says, he says, well, be, be, uh, besides the aqueduct, the sanitation, the roads, the irrigation, the medicine, education, public baths, what have the Romans ever done for us? You know, sometimes we're that way with God. We take for granted everything he's done for us. Everything he's done in just not even in just the process of salvation, but just everyday life. Was it not Jesus has said in, in Matthew 28, says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that is Jesus, New Testament, promising us he never leaves us. You know what? There's many other places in the scriptures that he promises to never leave us or forsake us. And one of my favorite verses given to me several years ago, Deuteronomy 31, 8. The Lord, he goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. That's besides salvation. But when you consider what Paul has talked about in the first part, and the first 11 chapters of Romans, we know that God loved us. He died for us. He pursued us. He forgave us. He redeemed us. He made peace with us, gave eternity to us, and he'll always be with us. You know, we are not these people that were basically got our lives you know, pretty much together, and we're just good folks, kind folks and all. We're just rocking along. But then all of a sudden, the God of the universe just came and offered us a better deal. In other words, an upgrade. That's not it at all. Gospel says that we were enemies of God. You ever thought of yourself as an enemy? In our sin, because the, the heart of, of sin is rebellion. When we rebelled against God, you're going to say, well, I, I never really was against God. Oh, no, no. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have, what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're not in a category all your own. I hate to break the news to you, but before you met Christ, you were an enemy of his. And yet he pursued you. And yet he came after you. And yet, what Scripture tells us, we love, why? Because he first loved us, right? Scripture also tells us in Romans, in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. He took the initiative. He's the pursuer. And so Paul's saying, listen, don't take for granted and don't take lightly everything God has done for for you. And so, in light of that, three things in these two verses sincere worship, holy living, and spiritual insight. Sincere worship, holy living, and spiritual insight. When we worship sincerely, when we live our lives in dependence on Him and in holy, as we just sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When we live in light of that, he will also renew our minds and give us spiritual insight. So let's break this down. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Listen, we got a good deal there. It's amazing. Beside all the things that God has done for us. You know, we are blessed to live in the West. You know why? 
Because there's people that around this world, there are people still dying for their faith in Jesus. People are still persecuted in our day and time, in our modern day. There are still martyrs today. People are still persecuted for no other reason than the fact that they are a Christian. They name Christ as their Lord. People are dying daily around this world for their faith in Jesus Christ. You and I, at least right now, you and I have got it pretty easy. And not only that, but when we read this, we see that he says, listen, you may not even be asked to die. You may, you may, you could be called upon to die for your faith. But he says, but you should present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Not like the dead sacrifices of the Old Testament, whenever they would take the animals and the goats and the bulls and all that and put them on an altar and kill them. He says, you're a living sacrifice. In other words, live your life. Once again, going back to the Great Commission that Jesus said, he says, really in the Greek, it's not go and make disciples. In other words, that's the imperative. But it basically, it's as you go, make disciples. So in other words, as you live your life, be mindful of making disciples and make that your intent. Now, the only problem with living sacrifices are that we have a tendency to crawl off the altar, right? Yeah, that's the problem. And that's why Paul said, listen, in light of everything he's done for you, present all that you are. He says that your bodies as a living holy sacrifice. Why? Because on this earth, and Paul later or elsewhere refers to our bodies as a tent. In other words, it's temporary, it's pretty fragile and all. But right now we live in this tent, we live in this body here uh, in, at this time on earth. And what is this? It, it, it encompasses basically, essentially, all that we are. Our minds, our emotions, our dreams, our hopes, our future. Everything about us, everything that we are, is contained in this body that we have right now. You see? And he says, what, all that you are, present to God and live for God. He'd already told the, told the Romans not to uh, present their, the members of their body for sin. He said in Romans 6, 13, Paul says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So we present all that we are to God. So we, we, we see that worship, our worship is so much more all-encompassing than just a song that we sing or a time maybe that we're especially mindful of the Lord or whatever. All of that's worship, but it's how we live encompassing everything. Secondly, holy living. He talks about holy living in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Folks, this is where the battle is fought right here. In our minds. In our minds. It's a matter of mind over matters. Okay? All of our circumstances in life must go through a filter that is God-filtered. We will go through experience. Listen, none of us are going to go through this life unscathed. Nobody. 
Nobody's going to get through this life without scars. Nobody's going to get through this life without hurts and pains and sufferings. Nobody. Nobody. We're all going to, get, to, to face those circumstances that, that, that are going to challenge us, that are going to wound us, that are going to scar us. But when we have the mindset of Christ, we understand that when we go through those times, that we're going to be tested. We're going to be tested. Here's the difference between testing and tempting. You give a test to help someone succeed. You tempt someone to see them fail. God tests, I mean, tempts nobody. He tests us, though, sometimes. Now, I know when you think back in school and you think about some of those teachers you had, you're wondering whether or not they were really wanting to see you fail. But those tests were to try to get you to go to the next level, to go and, and to, to go on to, to succeed and go and, and complete this and then move forward. It was a, a chance to help you see what you've learned from this. And so it is with living this life as we trust Christ. But he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In Philippians, uh, when Paul says, you know, that here's all these things that you should think of that which is honorable and of good report and all these different things. And then he says, and in the New American Standard, it says, and let your mind dwell on these things. In the ESV, it says, and think on these things. Well, the difference is, I kind of like the New American Standard wording better because when you dwell somewhere, it's not just some place that you visit once in a while. You live there. And so let your mind dwell on those things that are of good report and are honorable, whatever, as you renew your mind. How often do we tell somebody maybe that's struggling with depression or struggling with difficulties or they're getting overwhelmed by their circumstances? Or maybe they're just thinking of things that, of things that may never come to pass. You ever met someone like that? Maybe that's you. Maybe you sometimes worry about things that may never come about or whatever, and you're just worrying about all the possibilities. And what if somebody, a good friend, comes along and says, look, stop what? dwelling on those things stop dwelling on those things why because it affects you well consequently if dwelling on things that are negative can affect us well then what's the opposite dwell on those things that are honorable and and are pleasing to god and guess what it's going to have an effect on you so stop dwelling on those things and dwell on the good things Dwell on the honorable things. Dwell on the things that are pleasing and, and lift up Christ, okay? So he talks about this mind because this is, again, this is where the, the battle is fought with the mind, okay? He even says, you know, and God is a realist. You know, he, he gave us the minds that he's given us. And listen, our faith is not just, oh, you know, this just this leap of faith. We have no reason to believe what we believe, but it's just that we're going to believe this by faith. No, he, he's given us a mind to think through and consider these things that he's given us. And this mind, I mean, this faith that we have is a reasonable faith, you can say, all right? It's reasonable. But how, how are we to even love God? When they tried to corner Jesus, he said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's saying right what Paul said right here. Love God with everything that you are and what? And love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, engage the mind. So the mind, he says, do not be conformed to this world. It is the word in the Greek, it means that following the world's patterns or basically following the world's template. You ever followed a template before? 
like in a Word document, if you have a template or whatever, you just insert the words into it, but it basically formats it in the way it should come out, okay? Or if you follow a template, like a, whether you're sewing or you're making something, you're basically, this is it, I'm going to put the raw material in this template, and then it's going to form it out, and it's going to make it a form of where I can take out. And he's saying, don't follow the world's form. Don't be molded into the world's mold. It's like um, maybe when, if you were a kid, uh, you remember that you take some aluminum foil. And let's say you took a 50-cent piece and you put it on the table. You put the aluminum foil over it and you rub it with a stick or a pencil or something. And eventually that aluminum foil will take the image of the 50-cent piece. And if you want to, if you do a really good job of it, you cut, you cut the rest of the foil off, you can lay that right beside a real 50-cent piece. And if from a distance, you can't tell the difference, right? And Paul's saying, look, don't follow the world's pattern. Don't look like the world. Don't be pressed into the world's mold so that you start looking like the world. Listen, what does our world say? Our world says all kinds of stuff that a pattern. You know, uh, our world says, uh, you know, you get married and it's 50-50. How many married here know it's never 50-50? If you go out with 50-50, you're not going to stay married long. And in fact, that's what the world will say. Hey, if you don't get 50-50, then get out of it. That's what the world says. The world says you haven't got enough. You haven't got enough. Why? Because we are in that's the one thing. Now, we may never have to die for our faith, but one of the things that we have to contend with here in the West is that we're incredibly selfish. And we're never satisfied. Now, so yesterday I was eating at, at a restaurant, and I wanted to look up something on my phone. I went to Google, and guess what? I wasn't getting very good signal. And I got mad. Can you imagine that? I got mad because I couldn't look up something instantly on my phone that I wanted to know. And it was inconvenient for me to have to walk around and go to a different place or maybe walk outside of the restaurant to try to get a signal because I wanted that answer really bad. I didn't even think about the process. Every time that you and I do that, we take out these little computers that we carry around in our pockets and we look up something and we type something into this little apparatus and it digitizes it and it sends it thousands of miles into space and connects with a satellite up there. It digitizes it, finds the information that we need because it's receiving all kinds of information from other sources, shoots it back to this little box right here, and we get it in a matter of seconds. But by golly, when that new iPhone comes out, we're going to get it. Why? Because it's faster. It's faster. Because we're never satisfied. Because I don't have enough. I got to have just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's the world's pattern. You don't have enough. You don't have enough. And we believe it. And we believe it. Right now, I am in, in, in much discussion and, and in, in negotiations with the Lord that I need a new car. So you pray for me because we're in negotiations right now. And I just, I came up with all these reasons why I got to have, I got 150,000 miles on my car. There's some little things that are kind of not doing good. And I might have to repair those things. And I got a broken windshield. And I got, you know, I got all these reasons what I want to do. And Lord, there's a reason, there's a good reason why I need this car. Until I go to the car place and I see how much I got to pay for that new car. But I'm still in a bind because my flesh wants that new car. Lord, look at that car. There's no nicks on the hood. The, the windshield. Uh, and I'm not, asking for, I'm not asking for a Porsche. 
just this right here. The world presses you. Oh, you deserve it. You deserve it. You've driven that car long enough. So what if it still gets you from point A to point B? You deserve a new one. That's the world. And Paul just basically says, don't be pressed into this world's mold. This world's mold. But he says, be transformed in the Greek, metamorpho, which was the same word of when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he opened up and he gave them a glimpse of his essence and his glory. Because Paul saying, listen, when you were born again, you're not the same creature anymore. You're not the same material. You're not the same essence. So quit being pushed and pressed into this mold. You are a new creation. And you don't be conformed to that. So what do we do with this mind of ours? What is Paul saying with our minds? It needs to be informed, conformed, and transformed. Informed, conformed, and transformed. In Romans 7, 7, Paul says, what, shall, uh, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. So the word of God helps us and it's good that it corrects us and it shows us without it we would not know we'd all have our own well that might oh another thing about the world well that might not be right for you but that's right for me i'm telling you i'm submitting to you that god's truth is not that um unclear where it's just up to our opinions so he says, if, if it had not been for law, I wouldn't have known what sin was. 2 Timothy 3.16, what's the purpose of God's word? As he says here, to be informed in light of these mercies. He's already instructed us. Be informed, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What's God's word good for? For, for teaching. This is what God wants. For reproof, what you did is not right. For correction, now instead of this, do this. And then training in righteousness. And as you do that, that's how a, a, a person of Christ trains themselves to follow Christ. What about conform, to be conformed? Okay, we already said don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into its mold. But guess what? We are to be conformed, just not to that, not to the world's mold. In Romans 8, 29, Paul said, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, what? To the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Don't go into this mold, but allow yourself to be molded by God as, you, as the end result is to look more like God. Who? Jesus. More like Jesus. And in turn, be transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new 
has come. So what have we learned from Paul so far when he's talking about this transformed life? First of all, understand and know what God has done for you. You may not know everything. We can't possibly comprehend that, but we can know some of the things. And in light of that, present yourself to worship the Lord. And don't hold back. Don't hold back a portion. Don't Don't only give him part of you. Give him everything you are and everything you have to worship the Lord daily, not just one hour on Sunday, but daily, every day, every moment of your life, have the attitude of giving yourself to to the Lord. And as you do that, he will conform you to the image of his son. You'll you'll begin to look more like Jesus as you're conformed and and, then resisting being conformed to the world system and the world's look. And then in turn, you'll be transformed because you're already a new creation in Christ. But not only that, Colossians 2.6 He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk. Well, how am I going to do that? I may not know everything he does or what what he would do in every possible circumstance because I don't have every example of what he did in every single circumstance, even here in the Bible. But no, if you are a new creation and the Spirit of Christ is within you and you walk in him, God didn't just leave you alone because he says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, for, he, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? We can't, but we have the mind of Christ. How about that? If you've ever wondered about God's will, maybe you've spent money on, on books on finding God's will, discovering God's will, knowing God's will. I want to tell you, go ahead and take that to the half-price books and don't buy any more. Because this book right here can tell you everything you need to know about God's will. And you know what it just tells us right here? You know what Paul's telling us right here? Paul's saying, that, listen, when you realize what God has done for you, and you worship him in light of that, and you come to him realizing that you are a new creation, you've got different DNA, you've got different spiritual DNA, you're not the same material that could just be made.